0: On Seahawks Forever today, very excited to welcome into the show the Hawk Blogger, Brian Nemhauser, founder of HawkBlogger.com and host of Real Hawk Talk, joining me on the show for the first time. And he's going to give us a little bit of a sneak preview into his 53-man roster prediction, just 48 hours or so now from Final Cuts on Tuesday. Some of those undrafted free agents we've fallen in love with this preseason, those bubble guys, Levi Bell, Patrick O'Connell, some of those receivers, Who does he have making the cut and who does he have missing the cut, including an upset at outside linebacker? And then at the end, I ask him, how much, if any, ground have the Seahawks made up on the 49ers this year? He has a fascinating answer. Stick around for that. But first, hit that like button, subscribe to the YouTube channel so you never miss an episode. Brian Nemhauser, up next on Seahawks Forever.
1: Welcome to the Seahawks Forever podcast,
0: in-depth analysis on everything Seahawks. And now, here's your host, Dan Vians. It is my privilege to welcome Brian Nemhauser. You know him as Hawk Blogger and also from the Real Hawk Talk podcast, joining the show today. Brian, thank you for taking the time. Thanks for having me, Dan. Absolutely. Um, I want to start here. I know you just uh, put the finishing touches on a column for the site, correct? I did. Um Roughly 24 hours since at least the start of the game yesterday. When you take a general look at the contest yesterday in Green Bay, did any of the players that are on the bubble change your mind about their chances to make the roster for better or for worse?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think it it starts probably at the receiver spot and not with the name that has been getting all the attention, Jake Bobo. I don't think there's any drama there. He'll make the roster and I think he'll even potentially be a starter if you consider the third receiver a starter week one, yeah. depending on other injuries. But I had gone into this game uh, actually thinking that Tyjon Lindsey was someone who had a outside shot to make the roster. Mainly because I think that he is a good returner and mm-hmm. I think he has the potential to be you know a fine receiver as well, but mainly because they don't have a good return option. And Aesop Winston Jr. and you know, that was the other name that was on my mind, and it was the the two of them, and I thought Lindsay maybe had a bit of a a bit of an edge because I thought he was a better returner. Um Winston actually got some return opportunities. He made one mistake where he fair caught it inside yeah. the 10, but he did, you know, shine again as a receiver, and I think there's a pretty good chance, I would say plus chance that I think he makes this roster Hmm. and of course you know as if you want to get into it I think it's worth just clarifying for folks that uh, the IR rules will play a a large role in who makes the first man roster and who makes the ultimate one and that might affect someone like Winston as well.
0: Yeah, it's a good point to make. Um, and I, and when I failed to make on my 53 man projection show the other day is there's the Tuesday roster and then there's the Wednesday roster that, that players have to officially make the 53 man roster in order to be placed on IR, uh, with the, dele- the, uh, delegation, um, or the designation to be able to return a guy like Mike Morris might be a perfect candidate for that. We don't know the severity of his injury, but if it's enough that he's going to miss games, then then he would be placed on the roster on Tuesday and then brought or uh, placed on IR on Wednesday. Um, That receiver position is interesting um, because we don't know the status of Jackson Smith and Jigba, but what you just said about Jake Bobo, uh, even if it in jigba's healthy, he's a lock to make the roster and play a role on 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 offense, isn't he?
1: Uh JSN? Uh Jake Bobo. Jake Bobo. Yeah. I think that if JSN is healthy, I think Bobo has a decent shot to be the fourth receiver in mm-hmm. that situation. Um you know realistically the fourth receiver doesn't get a lot of snaps. Definitely doesn't get a lot of targets for the Seahawks. And I think you're going to see a lot of three receiver sets when JSN is healthy. And honestly, if he's not, I think you're going to see a lot of multiple tight end sets, multiple back sets that don't feature a third receiver. So I don't think Bobo is going to be someone who's getting a ton of snaps one way or the other, but if JSN is not able to play in that first week, I would think Bobo would be the guy. I don't I don't think that I don't know. There's there's the Cody Thompson, Cade Johnson crew right. and been around for a while and so yeah. the coaches have familiarity with them and probably some trust in them, but I just don't think either one of those guys offers what Bobo offers as a receiver, as a blocker, and they've been struggling with their own health issues. So I think it's pretty clear that Bobo would be that guy. I just I don't think, I mean, we're at the point uh, that we're all focused on these edge of the roster guys that right. honestly are not going to really play a big role once the season begins.
0: Yeah, we are going to talk about one position group where there are some big questions and, and guys that will play roles on a rotational basis. But before we move over to the defensive side, we haven't seen that running back room be healthy at all through the mm. preseason. Any concerns that are heading into week one that those guys are going to be ready to go?
1: I think the concern for me is a little bit more what I've seen from someone like Zach Charbonnet. Yeah. I, you know, yes, there's a question about health of Kenny McIntosh. There's some indication that he'll be ready, and if he is, then you're you're four deep at running back with DJ Dallas and and Ken Walker, who seems totally healthy. And then, you know, usually they do keep a fifth. I don't know. Like, I'll be very disappointed if they waste a roster spot on Sir Roderick Thompson or yeah. something of that nature. But I'm assuming, I'm actually predicting they'll have a four, four running backs on the roster at the yeah. 53 to start the year. I just think Charbonnet is a guy that, while I was not at all happy they spent a second round pick on a running back this year at all, I was infatuated with Charbonnet uh, in college. And there was a few mock drafts where I played around with putting him on the roster just because I thought he was such a perfect compliment to Kenneth Walker. Yeah. And I've been uh, frankly disappointed with how he's played in the preseason. He hasn't been sudden. He, he's shown some attempts at power, but not really successful power. He's had one big run. That was great, but there wasn't like a lot there. So I, I, I am hoping that he is just, you know, finding his way because right now he looks like an average like an average NFL back and I mm-hmm. I I mean he's been really good in path protection but that's not what you spend a second round pick on. So I am counting on him being a real weapon for them. And I don't yeah. think he's shown yet that that's what he is.
0: I, I question that he had much of an opportunity to really show that yesterday. I, I got a lot of it. I did some live streaming during the game and I got a lot of just a lot of frustration that, that the Seahawks were intent on running the football on first down uh, for most of that game. I think they only threw on first down uh, once in the first six drives that just were pounding Charbonnet. Uh, up the middle um, with a second team offensive line. But yeah, I hear you. He, he really has, hasn't done much to stand out. Um, you just wonder how much of that is kind of by design.
1: Well, that backup line is flat bad. Yeah. Uh, it, it really underperformed the whole preseason. I wrote about this in my column this morning at, on com. just that. I think we went in thinking that the tackle position, the offensive tackle position, was maybe one of the deeper spots on the offensive line. You've got Abe Lucas and Charles Cross as starters. Yeah. Stone Forsyth and Jay Curhan have been there for a few years now and have played starter snaps at times and done okay. Both of those guys have played, like, very poorly. Uh, and I think they played, again, poorly last this in this game. I think the interior, the guard position has not been great. I thought Anthony Bradford had a better game in this one than he's had in some of the past. Mm. I think Kendall Randolph is a guy that is someone to watch for practice squad. I thought he's done okay. I think Olu, I know he's been dealing with injuries, right. you know, in his elbow, and you can't underestimate how that could be affecting his play, but he looks like a backup center to me. Mm. Like, he doesn't look like a guy that really is a challenge for a starting spot. And uh, I hope I'm wrong. I hope that it's just the injuries and I hope he shows out differently, but I've watched some of the other centers that were drafted ahead of him in this draft. And I think I'm going to be pretty upset if once again, the Seahawks bargain shopped on center in a draft when they could have spent, uh, they could have had John Michael Schmitz where they drafted, drafted Zach Charbonnet. And that's, you know, yes, center's not a super important position, but if you can have someone who's pro bowl level, versus someone who's replacement level, it matters at every position. And I think the Seahawks have missed the chance to upgrade that position time after time after time. And so I, I, I'm hoping I'm wrong. I'm hoping it's just injury. But yeah, that that line, to your point, I don't think any of the backs' average yards before contact was even at the line of scrimmage. Yeah, um, So it was not good. Let's talk
0: about this draft class a little bit because there was so much excitement about it and hype about it. Uh, two first round picks, a lot of extra picks, the last bit of assets from the Russell Wilson trade. But to this point of those 10 picks, seven of them have missed preseason games Mm -hmm. and uh, an eighth potentially now with Derek Hall uh, with comes out of yesterday with a shoulder injury injury. We don't know the severity of that yet. So potentially eight of them go into the regular season injured. Is that a random anomaly that doesn't concern you or is it, is is there a bigger worry there?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's, it's always better when they're healthy, sure. no doubt about it. I think you have to avoid general statements across the board when it comes to injury. You know, Devin Witherspoon's got a hamstring injury. Right. Is, is that deeply concerning? No, I'm not deeply concerned about a hamstring injury. Do I wish he wasn't having that? Sure. But you know, that, that's, that's not something I'm too concerned about. JSN cracked a bone it's in a his wrist. Thing. yeah, You know, that's, that's not great. Um, Hopefully is not something that is, is a recurring issue, but you know, whatever. Derek Hall, We'll see about this. He talked about it. it's like an AC sprain. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not super concerned about that. Charbonnet missed some time, but that ended up not being an issue. You know, you can kind of go on and on and on. Uh, there's not a lot of these injuries that give me significant concern. I think the closest might've been Kenny McIntosh, who uh, his knee injury sounded pretty close to being an issue, but it ended up just being a sprain and they're not thinking he'll be back by the regular season. So, no, I, I don't. I don't particularly find myself concerned about the injuries. I'd rather the rookies face some injuries than, you know, the the starters that we're absolutely counting on. And I think the most important ones here are the first two first round picks. And I think there's reason to think that both of them will be available and and uh, and big, big parts of this team. Yeah. This year. Pete
0: did say yesterday that, that he, that JSN expects to beat the timeline, whatever that is. They're not really telling us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that Devin Witherspoon is running full speed. That was good to hear yesterday after the game. And then it's just a matter of conditioning. So it sounds like he, he has a good chance to be back. I, I, I ask it though, because I'm sure you've heard it on Twitter from other fans there. There's a lot of scrutiny with this draft class because of some of the things you've touched on already that where we took certain guys in the draft, there were other opportunities. And I think that wasn't helped by the fact that John was very, very open and transparent this year about there were some guys, there were some upsets, and there were some guys that they had thought they were going to take at certain points of the draft that weren't available. And now in the preseason, being what it is, we've seen some of those guys that <laughs> that some fans have latched onto and speculated might have been in the mix. We've seen... Uh, some of the linebacker group, Drew Sanders and Dan Henley making plays left and right for their teams. We've seen Keanu Benton really have a great preseason uh, at nose tackle for the Steelers. Looks like he's going to start day one for them. So, you know, it's kind of that that Creed Humphrey phenomenon, right? Where we're going to, as the years go on, we're going to compare this draft class to what we've seen uh, other teams do. So another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to say for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Certainly we need those guys. I think the biggest frustration is on that defensive line because they only... Spent two picks there, day three picks, Cam Young, Mike Morris. Looks like neither guy might be ready to go week one. We haven't seen Cam Young at all. Let's talk about that position because that's the one we feel good about the three starters, right? But what are we doing behind that? We've seen a bunch of undrafted guys play those reps uh, and get those snaps in the preseason. Um, Is there any chance they go into week one against the Rams without adding from the outside to that group?
1: I, there's always a chance. I think it would be a big mistake. And I think you have to say there's a chance because we've gotten here based off a series of decisions that John Schneider and Pete Carroll have made at that position during this off season. There was, I mean, look, there's a name, everyone we've talked about, Jalen Carter, and we've talked about, sure. you know, a bunch of other big names, Clayus Campbell was there to be had yeah. late in the season uh, as a perfectly good and uh, you know, interior defensive lineman. He went to Atlanta, and maybe he never was really an option out here. You never know with free agents who would yeah. really consider coming out to Seattle, but there were there's a pretty long list of players that the, the Seahawks did not add, whether through the draft or free agency, and I actually am not good with our three starters hmm. at all. Uh, I think... Mario Edwards Jr. is one of our starters, and I think he's a journeyman at this point. And he's in an, seventh you know, an, team,
0: I think, in his career.
1: You know, an okay player, but he's a guy that you want as a rotational guy. And um, I think Draymond Jones, I feel good about. Do I feel good about Jaron Reed as a starting nose tackle? Not really. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think can he be serviceable? Sure. But do I want more than serviceable on the, the you know, the heart of our line? Yeah, I do. So, no, I, I'm not at all satisfied with that group. I was hoping Mike Morris would be healthy, and he seemed to be one guy that was young and had upside. Obviously, Cam Young, we've gotten zero looks at no. in competition. It sounds like it's been a calf thing, and they they do think, I think, that he's going to be available uh, by the the start of the season. Hopefully, Dan, he's good because, uh, you know, I... I think the other options here are this. One, they make some trade either from late round pick or with some of their depth at edge or or a corner or you know somewhere else for someone else's depth um at interior defensive tackle. Two, they find someone on cut down that they like, and you know, by Wednesday of this week they've they've swapped out somebody three that by week two of the regular season when veteran contracts are mm-hmm. no longer guaranteed for the full year that they sign someone like Indama or something like that. Akeem Hicks I think is still out there, yeah, but he is. there's not much out there, but those two guys are. Yeah. So I, I don't think that they're going to feel desperate enough that they need to add a veteran and guarantee their contract for the full year before week one. But I think that that still is an option. And then, there's the big question I'm sure is on your mind as well. Do they make a big swing trade? Right.
0: Yeah. Chris Jones would be obviously the one that all the fans want. That would be a tough one to see happening. Grover Stewart's another one that I get uh, tossed around a lot. uh, Last year of his contract with the Colts. It's, It's such a fascinating year because we've never seen it like this before. We've never seen the one cut, you know, we've seen, we've seen, the phases before so guys have become available you can add throughout camp it's it's really like a a new wave of free agency it's going to be a crazy 48 hours with with the rules on ir and with all those guys becoming um free agents at the same time any vested veteran as you touched on uh four years in the league or more becomes a free agent immediately so if those guys become available tuesday those moves can be made But I think a lot of us are going to be waiting for one o'clock Pacific time Tuesday, hoping for some answers and we're not going to get those answers until Wednesday. Really?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've talked a lot about on our show on real Hawk talk about DeForest Buckner. You know, I I don't think that these are likely moves to happen. That would certainly be a, the biggest shift to the Seahawks potential total win count this year. If you add someone of that quality, that interior defensive line, Otherwise, the reality is, unless the scheme changes are really solid and the players that the Seahawks have on that defensive line play really solidly, I don't think it's realistic to ask them to play above average football, then it's going to be a real challenge. So. I think that there is not a credible case to be made that the Seahawks have upgraded, meaningfully upgraded their defensive line talent this offseason. Again, for folks, I would delineate when I'm talking about defensive line, I'm talking about the 3-4 defensive ends and right. defensive tackle, not the edge players like right. Derek Hall and Boye Mafe and Chenna and and so forth. So, Daryl Taylor, um, I'm talking about the actual defensive tackle-like right. players. So, it's... It's frustrating to be to be honest. I don't like having a team that potentially has the profile of getting pushed around for another year. With that being said,
0: the results defensively have been better this preseason. And, and for those who say that preseason doesn't matter, last year the Seahawks were terrible in the preseason defensively, stopping mm-hmm. the run especially, and that translated to the regular season. With everything you just talked about personnel wise, have you seen enough this preseason to lead you to believe that the scheme changes? might have an impact that that we might start the season with being a little stingier on defense.
1: I think so. I think so. Interestingly, the Seahawks last year really where they showed the biggest weakness initially, at least in defending the run was outside the tackle as opposed to mm-hmm. up the middle. And it wasn't necessarily because they were super strong up the middle, but there was a lot of weakness in setting the edge. And so teams were getting a ton, like unreasonable amounts of space running to the outside. And when you get outside, you know, there's just a lot of chunk plays to be had. So I, I do think that I've seen a little bit better gap discipline and a little bit more of setting the edge and a little bit more of spilling runs back inside, which limits their potential, um, you know, so that that does feel better. I also think, as much as Bobby Wagner's on the older side, I feel just better about him filling gaps and mm-hmm. being in the right spot against the run than I do get about what they had at linebacker last year. I was certainly not a Cody Barton fan. I know there's some folks that on, you know, watch a lot of film and will tell you that he's much better than he's given credit for. Yeah. I hope he shows that somewhere else. I'm glad he's not going to be trying to show it here. <laughs> so I, I think that there's reason to feel. Look, you know, I think there's reason to think that 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 the gap disciplines better that they'll be a little bit stingier. I think there's also reason to be skeptical and say this is a team that could get mashed again. Yeah. And we just have to wait and see.
0: That's the part that's kind of scary if you uh if you want to stay up late at night and not sleep as a Seahawk fan, <laughs> scroll through other teams defensive depth charts and it's just mm-hmm. Even if you just have a cursory knowledge of the league, you look at other teams' second defensive line and you see capable players and guys you're familiar with and guys that rotate in. I mean, you see in our own division, the San Francisco 49ers, of course, known for having one of the, the most dynamic defensive, defensive lines in the league, and they went and added to it and spent big money on Javon Hargrave to, to fortify that position. So that's a scary one. And, and when people tell me everything's going to be okay, my, my response to that is, what if Jaron Reed gets hurt? Like, are you playing Matt Gotell as your starting nose tackle or Jacob Sykes or that's where it gets scary. Um, let's talk about a couple specific guys. On your final 53, every preseason fans get uh, enamored with undrafted free agents and certain guys and and underdogs. Levi Bell, certainly one of those guys, um, has really flashed. And with all the things we talked about, with those shortcomings up front, do you have him making the roster?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um... Right now, he is on the Razor's edge. So if I go and I look at my roster, I've got them keeping... I've just bucketed linebacker as as one group, even though inside linebacker and edge are significantly different positions. I have him right outside the roster. Um, I have him as 10th on that list. So I'll give you the list of guys that I've got. um, uh, Inside linebacker, I've got... Wagner, Jordan Brooks, um, Devin Bush. I also have Nick Ballore and John Radigan making this roster, okay. and Radigan's the one to come back to here. Um, as edge, I've got uh, Daryl Taylor, Chenna Nuosu, Derek Callboy, and Mafe making the roster, and so not Tyreek boy, Smith, not Tyreek Smith. Okay, no. I do not have Tyreek Smith making the roster. I have him right below Levi Bell. Mm-hmm. So um, I th- I see Tyreek Smith as a lower ceiling potential player. And and uh, I also, I have questions about his ability to to really set the edge. I saw Levi Bell do that much, much better. And mm-hmm. Levi Bell, I think, is a much better rusher than he is. So I think Smith is a guy that, can make it to practice squad truthfully bell might be able to as well but bell has shown i think higher level higher ceiling traits than smith has Um, certainly
0: more versatile too which is it's so interesting to see for his his frame and his size because i think it seemed to me yesterday more so than we saw against the vikings or the cowboys they were even he was playing inside in a in a four-point stance and it and to me that kind of came across as an intentional thing Given some of those some of those issues with that group to move him around a little bit, we're not going to see that out Tyreek Smith. That's interesting. I think you're the first guy that that has Smith not making the roster. You're the outlier.
1: Yeah i i I think he's had a, a some definitely. His last game was better than this one, but I yeah I have not seen what I would want to see from him relative mm-hmm. to Levi Bell and look. I think the coaches are doing everything they can to figure out how they can use Bell. They play him at fullback. They've played him at yeah. defensive tackle. They've played him at edge. And he is 265. The, the Their edge players, you know, Mario Edwards, Draymond Jones, they're like 280 plus. Mike Morris is 300. He is not an interior player. I, I, I think that was a lot to ask. And he had one play that I thought was decent when he was in there. But for the most part, he was getting washed out inside. But when they put him outside immediate pressure, you know, multiple pressures, multiple good plays. And that's with spending a lot of energy trying to play inside for the first 15 plays or so of, of the game. So I, Bell's a guy that to me has shown significant potential. And I, that's, that's the guy between him and Tyreek Smith. I would lose a lot more sleep about Bell showing up on another roster, another place than I would, about Tyreek Smith. I also think Bell is a better special teams player than Tyreek Smith, and that matters at the edge of the roster. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Uh, So you've got Radigan making it in that linebacker group. You said you wanted to come back to him. Radigan over O'Connell, another guy that has become a darling of the fans this preseason.
1: Well, again, this is where where the roster math matters because this is really, I mean, when you've got Wagner, Brooks, um, you know, and Devin Bush uh, uh, as your linebackers, those are the guys that are going to get all the snaps and inside linebacker yeah. unless there's a significant injury situation. So these other guys are just depth and special teams is really what it comes down to. So Belor, Belor a guy that I wouldn't have making the roster. If he didn't have a guaranteed $2.3 million contract, they're going to eat that whole thing if they cut him. But I don't think he should be on this roster. I think that uh, Tyreek Smith should make the roster instead of, um, Nick Bellore, but I don't think the team's going to cut him and eat that contract. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, what that then means is who are the last? You know who's the last guy? Um, and and by the way, like on my number, I came to nine here, and that means that Levi Bell doesn't make the roster either. Yeah. By the way, uh, but John Radigan does because you know they do need. I think he is a better inside linebacker than Nick Bellore have for sure and i think they've got more time with him um uh, on special teams he's certainly a good special teams player i think patrick o'connell is good but there's no problem at all putting him on practice squad no, they have he's no not worries gonna someone's gonna yeah. get him snatched up radigan's been an ff player i think ben burkhervin is probably a bigger question than o'donnell i think ben burkhervin arguably has outplayed radigan this preseason i think that they think about him as more of a uh a feel good story, then someone that they really want to bet on physically going to be mm-hmm. available. They'll probably just try to put him on the practice squad if yeah. they want. So there's a chance that they're like, ah, no, we'll, we'll actually either go to 10 on this number and then get a Levi Bell or a Tyreek Smith on there, or that they swap out, you know, Bell for Radigan and they go with, you know, Basically, three inside linebackers plus Nick Bellore as the fourth and, and roll the dice there. That feels a little risky, but that that could be something they choose to do.
0: It does, but it feels like you might be able to steal from that group if you need to, because we've seen it in action and we've heard over and over again, they're going to play so much more nickel this year. We're going to see a lot of one linebacker, one interior linebacker Mm -hmm. sets and the way they're going to use those guys. Maybe you can steal from that spot, at least initially early in the season, Um, especially if you think those guys are going to get through waivers. Um let's talk about the back end then before we finish up because that's been where some of the most interesting battles have been. And the mm-hmm. biggest one over the last couple of weeks. It's amazing how quickly Michael Jackson has gone from being uh you know borderline dominant was the, the, in the words of Pete Carroll in the off season all through OTAs and and in training camp and has kind of become a whipping boy of the fans the last couple of weeks. I don't know how much that's warranted. I think some of that's overblown. I thought the touchdown he gave up yesterday couldn't, couldn't have played it much better. It was a really well-thrown ball from a starting quarterback to his starting receiver, perfectly placed. Um, but has it, but some people feel like maybe Trey Brown has won that left cornerback spot. And and the fact that Jackson played right corner in lieu of Reek Wallen yesterday spoke to that. Do you think Brown's the starter on day one? And how do you see that secondary shaking out, uh, assuming that Weatherspoon's ready to go?
1: It's one of the most... Fun surprises we're gonna get. It's a uh, good
0: problem to have.
1: Come week one, <laughs> yeah, it would be a great problem to have if they were all playing well and healthy. Uh, it's it, it's it's unfortunate that Jackson has not had a good preseason for multiple reasons. Obviously, you know the more depth of quality depth you have, the better. Also, the potential that he could drive up his trade value, potentially, you know, be someone that they could trade for defensive tackle uh, from another team or something like that if they wanted to. Mm-hmm. I think that's lessened for sure. I do read into the fact that he was playing basically back up to Reek Woolen's spot yesterday and Trey Brown was was opposite. I think that I think Jackson has solidly moved out of the starting lineup, and I would have guessed even before last preseason game, that that was not the case, that he he was the odds-on favorite to be the starter opposite of Woolen. I no longer think that's true. I think that that most likely Trey Brown will start outside uh, opposite Woolen uh, week one. I think that there's, I would say it's like 55-45 in that I think there's a, there's a decent chance Witherspoon's just going to slide right in there. And I think I think that people are probably underestimating Pete and team's willingness to put him out there right away, uh, and he just has to show that he's healthy and can play. So I think there's a better chance of that than maybe people give it credit for. I also think Artie Burns has, as much as Jackson has slid down the ranks, and I think you're right about the different sides. Look, I brought it up in in my article today, DJ Reed famously struggled on one side of the field. Yeah. You put him on the other side, and he's a you know near-Pro Bowl-level corner. So it is. it can really matter for certain players. That said, I thought Artie Burns played a terrific game yesterday. He really did. A Nickel. I thought he's had a great preseason. I think this is a guy that uh, they thought was going to be a starting corner for them last year before some injuries and other th- situations took hold. I thought there was zero chance, Dan, that he was going to make the roster. I think he's... Not quite a lock, but I think it's very likely. If you look at the back end of the roster, I think they keep 10 in the secondary, whether it's five corners and five safeties, or maybe 11. They've done this in some cases, um, but I think at least 10, and I think that means Artie Burns is is on the roster. I, I think he'd basically be competing with guys like Joey Blount and uh, Sutherland and Jarek Reed, and I think he's he's I think solidly ahead of those guys in terms of value those guys some of those guys have special teams um, above him so we'll have to see what happens there
0: And then you, you mentioned them. Do you have Sutherland making the team over That seems to be the momentum. Uh, the last couple of weeks is that even as a draft pick, which Seahawks like to protect mm-hmm. uh, in this day and age, it's it's not common for a six rounder to get cut um, that he struggled a little bit. I thought he played well yesterday. I thought he made some yeah. plays tackle for loss, a really great pursuit on an outside run. He's willing to hit guys, had a pass breakup that I thought was really impressive cutting on the ball yesterday and, um,
1: how do you have that that battle shaking out yeah right now i have him behind sutherland and blunt just from a i think i think that what what those guys can bring in terms of the position that they can play at safety the type of safety they can play as well as their special teams prowess i think those guys are ahead of him i think reed had a i think he had a pretty strong preseason i thought he had a great game yesterday and I'm not too worried about, honestly, any of those guys not making it to the practice squad if they decided to do it. So I'm not sure it really matters end of the day which of them, it matters for them, obviously. But from a fan perspective, I'm not sure it really matters which ones are up and which ones are not. Artie Burns is a guy, for example, you don't sign him. He's going to go to another team. Like He will get uh, an opportunity somewhere. And I think that would be a big mistake.
0: Uh, in, in what really concerned me about Reed and got me to thinking because all throughout this process, I've had him on the roster. I, I thought a lot of that was based on what they said when they drafted him. And, and that was, he might, he might take some time to develop as a safety, but this guy is going to be great on special teams. When Pete came out the other day and said, he's got a ways to go there. Mm. And he's got some development. He's got some learning to do on special teams. That's when my eyebrow went up and I thought, okay, maybe he doesn't have it. Maybe he's not going to make the initial 53. Yeah. Um, can't let you go without talking a little bit about the quarterback position. And and I want to frame it to you this way. We saw almost nothing but drew lock this preseason much more extensively than we saw last year. Of course, he got sick last year. Um, by all accounts seemed to play well. Has he done enough in your eyes that if if anything were to happen to Geno Smith this year, if he were to go down for any length of time, can we win games with Drew Locke as he established himself as a guy that can be a starter in the league, as Mark Slareth uh, proclaimed yesterday during the telecast?
1: Look, I, Dan, I'm I am I don't know if I'm in the minority or I'm just vocal about it. I I think that Drew Locke has an very odd amount of support in this fan base Mm. uh, for a guy that has never played a regular season snap of football and has made a number of questionable decisions in preseason games when he has been in there and continues to show questionable decision-making, questionable fundamentals. The amount of throws he made yesterday fading away off his back foot, even his touchdown to Bobo was a... There wasn't someone that he had needed to step back from, but he was throwing off his back foot. He threw another pass into harm's way yesterday that very clearly could have been intercepted. And it was a play where he had decided where he was going to go with that ball before the snap yeah. and just yeah. threw it out. That there. That should have been a pick six. I, I think people really overweight the good plays and underweight the bad plays at a position where mistakes are just paramount. Like, you know, Jimmy Jimmy G was a guy that for years guaranteed, he was pretty much guaranteed at least one turnover a game, whether it was a fumble or an interception. And that is a very, very hard way to win, unless you're surrounded by the best talent in the league, like right. the 49ers yeah. were with him. Yeah, And so I have not seen anything that that really makes me think, Drew Locke is significantly different than the guy that has thrown as many interceptions as touchdowns in his career as a starter in the NFL. And could he come in and win you a game? Could you be potentially close to 500? Sure. You know, like, I think that's fine. I, I don't have like this persistent belief that, Hey, uh, the Seahawks are a quarterback factory, and look what they did with Geno Smith. They'll do it again with Drew Locke. I th- I think that is absolutely, completely fan fiction mm-hmm. that that will happen again. Um, something that's happened basically once or twice in the history of the NFL. Yeah. Uh, so, I, no, I, I am not a believer in Drew okay. Locke. I think he's a super nice guy. Seems like <laughs> the locker room likes him. The coaches like him. He's got special arm talent. I don't think it's elite arm talent. He makes some great throws. Yeah. I think he makes some boneheaded mistakes and I think potentially crippling against first string defenses in the heat of a, a regular season NFL game. So, right. I, you know, right. yeah, I wanted them to draft a quarterback, yeah. uh, not at one, but certainly later, and, and I think that would have been a much better Path for them.
0: And then I'm going to ask you this next one only because I there are so many people that latch on and get passionate about kind of dark horse quarterbacks. And I've had a lot of really passionate comments on my on my channel about Holton Nailers. And um, and the question I'm just gonna ask you is this I'm not gonna ask you to assess his game. Uh, are the Seahawks gonna use the waiver period to try and upgrade that position? Are they out hunting for a guy to put on the practice squad? Um, that might be an upgrade over Ayler's, Or do you think he's shown enough as a developmental guy?
1: I think that they will. I think they'll definitely look. Um, I think that would be a mistake not to. I don't think Ayler's has done anything to say, my God, you can't you can't upgrade that spot. I really like that guy. I think he's fun to watch. Even if, with all the things I said about Locke, I don't think Ayler should at all be in the conversation for backup or anything like that. So, I mean, I think there's clear differentiation there and Ehlers is, is pretty raw. I also think his arm talent is pretty questionable. Yeah. Um, so I I think that he probably ends up on the practice squad as a third-string quarterback, but it wouldn't shock me if, if they have someone else they've seen that they think is more interesting.
0: How much ground, if any, have the Seahawks made up on the 49ers?
1: <sighs> Oof. This is, this is the the fascinating one, Dan. I think that depends as much on the 49ers as it does on the Seahawks. And look, Brock Purdy's a guy that even 49ers fans, there's so much skepticism about him, and, you know, can they really count on this this guy? Was he Was he a flash in the pan? As objectively as I can be about it, I'm on the side of, I think he's really good. I don't want that to be the case. I think he's really good. I think that he is going to be potentially great. And I think that that alone makes that team incredibly challenging for any mm-hmm. any team in the league to beat. I think CMC's health is going to be critical. And this is a guy that has missed a lot of time at a position that has a high injury rate. So I do think there's some variability. I think that offensive line is worse I think that defense potentially is worth We don't know what's going to happen with the Nick Bosa yeah. contract thing. I wouldn't be surprised if he holds out longer. Wouldn't be surprised if he signs right away either. But I think that secondary is questionable. The linebacker position is weaker. So I do think that the Seahawks offense has closed ground with the 49ers defense. Okay. I think that the 49ers offense may have gained some ground even on a f- – Seahawks defense that I think is also improved. Um, so yeah, a lot of this depends on Purdy, and if he is, most players improve from first year to second year. Yeah. This is a guy that had a great first year. If he improves on what he did last year, Seahawks are not going to be close to that team.
0: It's amazing how uh, you touched on it. The perception is flash in the pan. The 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 buy in from the general public is not there. Um right before you and I got on today I wrapped up a fantasy football draft. Went 19 rounds. I got him in the 19th round. Mm. Not quite Mr. Irrelevant. <laughs> Cuz I picked second and it was on the the turn, but uh yeah, got him in the last round after and we we draft defensive players and everything. I was shocked by that. I I don't see how the guy doesn't throw 30 touchdowns if he's healthy in that offense. So
1: I think it's very possible and look, I hope I would be so happy to be wrong and see him struggle mightily and, you know, for that, that team to end up with Sam Darnold having to start and
0: like. It's so hard as a Seahawk fan to see your, your chief rival miss on a top five quarterback pick that they traded, you know, a ransom to move up and get miss on that and have it not affect them in any way at all.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I That's mean it certainly did affect them. Like the opportunity cost there is real. Sure. But you're right. The the hit on Purdy man, it's it's rough. It's rough as a Seahawks fan and and I don't think you can like tip your hat to the 49ers. They used the last pick on the draft on the guy. It's not like they had seen something yeah. that nobody else had seen. <laughs> they lucked into something there and that's that's uh, let's hope let's hope that it turns out to not be the case but i'm on the other side of that from a lot of folks yeah. including 49ers fan i think i think purdy is going to be very very good
0: i'm with you on that i am uh and the schedule makers kind of did us dirty by putting both games late late mm-hmm. late in the year we'd love to see that yep. match up earlier on uh brian thank you so much for coming on the show and taking the time uh our first time catching up together let's uh, make sure it's not our last
1: Absolutely, Dan. Thanks for having me.
0: Um, Let the people know what you got coming up and uh, on the website, Hawk Blogger and on Real Hawk Talk this week.
1: Yeah, so hawkblogger.com. You can go there right now. I've got my morning after column detailing the last game uh, against the Packers and some of the impact to the roster and and what I think will happen there. Also, uh, we will on Real Hawk Talk this week, uh likely do our prediction show which is a multi-hour extravaganza where we'll go through and predict all the games for the season and the final record and where the, the season ends we will also do a lot of prop kind of predictions around what different players will do during the regular season so keep an eye out for that we will uh we'll do that sometime this week
0: I also don't want to let you go without touching on Ben's fund. Um, You donate revenue uh, from your ventures to John Schneider's foundation for his son, Ben, um, uh, to help support autism programs. The number that you've helped to raise is uh, pretty jaw dropping. Tell the folks about that.
1: Yeah. I appreciate you bringing it up. When I started, Hawk blogger back in 2007, you know, there was nothing of interest. (laughs) No one wanted to advertise with us. And by the time they started to want to do so, I have a full-time job. I didn't really need, I didn't want to make money. I didn't want to do the marketing thing. And then I realized I didn't have to keep it. I could actually donate it. And it turns out I, my, my youngest son, Nate is autistic and, um, John Schneider and Tracy's son, Ben is also autistic and they started Ben's fund which basically helps parents of kids with autism uh, afford their, the, the, some of the treatment, um, expensive treatments that are needed. And so I started taking money from uh, uh, partners and advertisers and then also started a Patreon, patreon.com slash hawkblogger if you're interested. And to date, we've now donated over $260,000 to different charities. Most of that's gone to Ben's fund. A couple of years, they didn't do their, their fundraising yeah. um, auction. So we've done to uh, other places like NAMI, which is a national association of mental illness, um, and some other places during the pandemic to help with food for people that were uh, unable to get it. So we've tried to to do good with what we're doing and I'm really humbled by all the people that have supported and, and helped make that happen.
0: Well, you've done a lot of that. And my employer, Al Gaucho has always been intimately, um, Connected to that as well as uh, we we contribute to the uh, the fundraiser that used to hold it at El Gaucho. we did it at Sparkman Winery this year and that's where you and I got to meet for the first time so that is. Uh, always appreciated uh, your efforts in that in that way at uh, Hawk Blogger on Twitter that's where you'll find him and can follow him um, for all of his takes on the Seahawks at Seahawks forever for me don't forget to hit that like button and subscribe to the channel so you never miss an episode we will be all over the roster cuts this week on Tuesday and Wednesday, stay tuned for that until next time, forever and always Go Hawks!